You ready for God's word? Come on, if you're ready for God's word, let me hear it. I'm going to need you to lean forward in this message because we've got a lot of technical stuff I'm going to be covering. But before we get into the message, this is the message we're recording, right, for online. I want to share with you that, that I want to give a special shout out to Miss Francis. Miss Francis is uh, Miss Ginger Bryant's mother-in-law, Scott's mother-in-law. She is uh, a delight to have as a part of our church. We love you dearly, Miss Francis. She is, she is battling with cancer right now. She's not able to make it, but she's already defeated COVID. Nothing's going to defeat her. She, you know, God has her in his hands. Amen. So I'd, I'd like for us to just say hello. So you're going to raise your hand. The camera's right back here. You're going to wave. We're going to clap. We're going to make a big deal for Miss Francis. Miss Francis, we love you. We're so, so, so proud of you. We love you. We love you. We love you. We're going to pray a blessing over your life right here in this moment. Come on, church. Help me bless her life. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for Miss Francis. We ask you to watch over her. We ask you to put your healing hand upon her. Encourage her spirit by your Holy Spirit. Come and minister to her, Lord. Give her life. Give her, Lord, just a reassurance that you're with her, that you'll never leave her or forsake her. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Um, I am starting, we are starting a new sermon series today entitled Defining the Church. Now, you'll see why I titled this uh, this way in a minute, but it's it's defining kind of what God has called the church to be all about. And so if we keep these in mind, it's not only for the church collectively, corporately, but it's also for us as individuals because it's us as individuals that make up the corporate church. And so we're going to get into God's word. We're going to be covering Revelation chapter 4. Now, it's interesting because I always say revelations. I learned that as a young child, but it's not. It's revelation, one revelation. It's the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. I can remember as a young kid memorizing Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock, right? If any man hear my voice and would come and open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Amen. That is what, what, what we should we should always remember that, that this revelation is the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ unto salvation. It's about salvation. It's about his grace. And the reason I make that distinction is because so many times we think it's about end times. And some folks are like, you know what? End times is confusing. It'll all pan out in the end as what I believe. So I'm just going to let it happen. I don't, I don't really get into revelation. Can I tell you? It's not just about end time. It's about understanding our Lord Jesus Christ in a much more intimate and deeper way. And so we're going to cover chapter 4. We're also going to cover chapter 1 of Ezekiel. We're going to spend a lot of time in his word because how many of us know that God's word changes our lives? God's word is way more important than what I have to say. It's all about God's word. God's word is supernatural. I need someone to hear me on this today. Someone I truly believe is struggling in their life and, under, and, and wanting to know, will I ever change? Can I ever really get to that place of peace and freedom? Spend more time in his word. Listen to me. Spend more time in his word. 
It's supernatural. It will change the way you live. It'll change us from the inside out. How many of us know we can't change ourselves from the inside? Sometimes we work on the outside. And, you know, there was, uh, it reminds me of a lady who was really um, having a hard time. She was really sick and, and she had uh, some, some tumors that she went and saw the doctor for. And the doctor said, it doesn't look good. We're going to do surgery, but you're going to need to pray for a miracle. And so she began to pray for a miracle and her church joined her. And she felt the Lord say to her, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to give you a long life. I'm going to give you 20, 30, 40 years. And so she was excited and she had the surgery. The surgeon confirmed the results. Everything is good. We got it all. I don't don't see why we cannot pronounce you cancer free and you're going to live a long life. And so she just went right from that doctor to a plastic surgeon. She had all kinds of work done. She had all kinds of work. Now you might not agree with her. That's not the point. The point is she got all kinds of work done. She looked 20 years younger. She, you could barely recognize her. She comes out of that hospital just hip, just, just with a new bounce in her step. Man, she's ready to live. You know, all of a sudden she steps out into the street, distracted with her new look in the window mirror, and she gets hit by a bus. Some of y'all are going, oh my goodness. She gets to heaven. She's like, Lord, you told me it's me, Janet. You told me that if I, you know, you were going to heal me and you're going to give me long life to live. It's me. What happened? He goes, oh, Janet, is that you? I don't recognize you. (laughs) Um, Now, don't write me any emails telling me how that is so theologically unsound. Or how you didn't appreciate this or that. It's just meant to drive home one point. We can change the outside, but only God can change the inside. Amen? Only God can change the inside. And he does it by his word. He does it by his word. Now, I'm going to spend a lot of time in his word. I want you to go with me to Revelation 1.19, because Revelation 1.19 sets the stage for the rest of the book. Highlight that, that verse if you haven't had a chance to do so. Uh, ever before. It's one of the most profound verses in the entire book of Revelation. And it describes to you what the purpose is. And it's given by Jesus Christ. It says, write the things which you have seen. And the things which are. And the things which will take place after this. Now I'm going to break that up and spread it out for you. So we can see the three items more clearly. These are the three items that he is highlighting for John, his disciple. This is Jesus Christ telling John, I'm going to give you a revelation of myself and I need you to communicate it to the church. I need you to communicate it to the world. He says, write the things which you have seen. And in that first chapter, he writes what he sees and he sees Jesus Christ in his current form. He's not a broken man on the cross anymore. He's not a baby in a manger anymore. He is the king of glory, shining bright as all glory. And he is the alpha and omega, the one whose eyes are like fire and can judge the living and the dead. He is the king of all glory. And John writes that down. So in chapter one, you hear John describing Jesus Christ in all his splendor. Now the things which are I believe that relates to chapters two and three. 
Chapters two and three, he's writing about the church age. Now in chapters two and three, he goes into seven epistles given by Jesus to the church. Many of us only count the Paulinian epistles to the church, but there are seven epistles from Jesus Christ to the church. To seven specific churches. Now you say, why seven? Well, seven means completeness. And we know from the prophecy in Daniel, in chapter 9, verses 24 through the end of the chapter, we know that Daniel talks about in his prophecy given to him by Jesus through the angel. Watch this. That... That the church age will come to an end. We know that Jesus says this in Luke. Luke, he says, the church age will come to an end. We know that Paul says the church age will come to an end. When the end of the Gentiles is complete, then it will be time for the Jews again. And so the church age will be complete. And it's, it's, it's represented there by the seven epistles to the seven churches, which means completion. And then in chapter 4, we have a type of rapture that takes place. Pick up the, 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 um, the story with me in chapter 4. Now watch this. After these things, I looked. Now I don't know if you caught that, but I'm going to ask you to go back to, to chapter 1, verse 19. The things you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. So he uses a very specific word, which is metatauta. Here's the word, metatauta, which means after this. So he says, I'm going to show you Jesus in all his glory. I'm going to talk about the things that are. That means we are in the church age. John was writing to the church. We were in the church age. And then after the completion, seven, of the church, the things that will happen after that. It's very clear. Watch. Go back to Revelations 4. Now, after these, metatauta, After these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me. Can I tell you, we are called home at the trumpet sound. The Bible says in the last, in that trumpet, when that trumpet sounds, we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye and we will be raptured into heaven. I want you to think about this. This is imagery, but not just any imagery. He's saying something by it. He's saying, so after the church age, the church will be raptured. This is what the church has always believed. Now, you have some that believe it will be raptured after the seven years of tribulation, but we don't. We believe we're going to be raptured before the seven years of tribulation because we were not appointed to wrath. That's what the Bible says. And so we're going to be experiencing the marriage feast of the Lamb During the seven years, we're going to be having a a one-week celebration in heaven. I've I've gone through many prophecies on this. Many prophecies. If you'd like, you can go back and listen online. But watch this. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place, metatauta, after this. And so here we go. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like Jasper and Sardis. Now very, very quickly he's identifying 
who this person who is on the throne, and it's Jesus Christ. The reason we know this is because Jasper and Sardis are two stones. And if you take the high priest, and uh, the high priest in, in Israel that would go into the holiest of holiest, according to the law, was, was to wear a breastplate of beautiful stones right here. It had 12 stones to be specific, one for each tribe. The tribes were named after the children of Jacob. His oldest was who? Reuben. His youngest was Benjamin. The Jasper represented the oldest. The Sardis represented the youngest. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, or what is John telling us? I saw the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and his name is Jesus. This is the exact words that John has already used in chapter one, right? The things that are, and he says, I see the Alpha and Omega. Now he's saying it again. Just so you'll know, the person on the throne is the Alpha and Omega. And there was a rainbow. We'll talk more about the rainbow in a second. In appearance, like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightning, thunderings, and voices. Seven lampstands of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Oh my goodness, seven spirits, 24 elders. What's going on here? Very, very simply, you have the 24 representing the Old and the New Testament saints. You have the twenty, uh, the 12 elders that represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And then you have the 12 apostles representing the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. Was Judas going to be there? No. Paul is the one Jesus Christ calls to replace Judas. We know that Paul called him himself. Now, the reason we know this is because... God said to Abraham, through your line, I will bless the nations of this world. He would bring the Savior through Israel, and Israel and her 12 tribes would bring salvation to the world through the apostles of Jesus Christ. Now, what are the seven spirits? This represents the complete spirit of God Almighty. The complete spirit of God Almighty. Remember, seven means completion. This is God in one being represented there. You say, well, what do you mean the seven spirits? Don't get confused. It's just, it's just God's way of saying, my spirit are the seven things that I highlight for you in Isaiah eleven two. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So the spirit of the Lord, and then he's described in these ways. The spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. So if you add all that up, it's seven. This is the seven that he's talking about here. He sees God. Now let's keep going. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass. Now I want you just to keep this imagery in your mind. Like a crystal sea. Okay? And in the midst of the throne, and around the throne, were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back, The first living creature was like a lion. The second 
uh, living creature was like a calf or an ox. And the third living creature had a face that was like a man. The fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes all around them. And they did not rest day or night. They kept saying, listen to this, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Can I tell you, point number one, these living creatures and what we're seeing here is God's awesome, mighty throne. And we, how are we asked to pray as the church? When Jesus Christ set forth the model prayer for the church, he said to pray this way, our father who art in heaven, how? Uh, Really? Come on. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Can I tell you, you're going to see in Ezekiel, God's kingdom coming and establishing itself on earth through his holy church. Through his church. And so what I believe here, God is showing a foundation and a calling for his church to impact the world for his glory. For his glory because he sits at the head of his church and he is the one who rules. So you say, okay, pastor, okay, the foundation of the church. Now I'm going to explain, I'm going to explain a lot more of this prophecy and the imagery. And so most of today's message is going to be just setting the foundation and the groundwork for our entire series. Are we good? Are we good? So you have, you have the throne, you have a crystal sea, you have living creatures, you have eyes all around. Now let's go to Ezekiel because Ezekiel breaks it down even with more detail. Ezekiel chapter one. Watch this. Now it came to pass in the 13th year of the fourth month on the fifth day of the month. As I was among the captives by the river. That the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. So what is he talking about? Ezekiel is a captive of Babylon. Babylon has just, based on the date he gave, has just captured. Has just captured Judah. He is held there in a type of concentration camp. So I want you to close your eyes and imagine being there by a river in a concentration camp, shackled, held captive. There's enemy armed forces all around. And you're wondering what is going on. And you're a believer of the Lord. And so you start calling out to God and he gives you this vision can open your eyes. Now watch this. This is the vision he gives to Ezekiel. I'm going to start it in verse five. Also from within this great cloud, it came the likeness of four living creatures. Here's the four living creatures again. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. You say, what does it mean to have the likeness of a man? They stood and resembled a human, but then he's going to add things that are not human-like. So here we go. As for the likeness of their faces. Now he's going to describe their faces first. Each had the face of a man. And each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side. And each of the four had the face of an ox on the left side. 
and each of the four had the face of an eagle. Okay, so you have this creature that looks like a man in their stature, has the face of a man, has the face of a lion, has the face of an ox, and has the face of an eagle. And he's seeing this. Same thing John saw. Now watch this. Their wings stretched upward. Two wings of each one touched another. Two, they covered their bodies. And each one went straight forward. They went wherever the Spirit wanted to go. So the Spirit is leading this whole thing. What Spirit? The complete Spirit of the living God that John described in in chapter uh, 4 of Revelation. And so you have here that the living creatures are being led by the Spirit of the living God. Okay, keep going with me. What else do we need to know about this? Now, as I looked at the living creatures, behold, a wheel was on the earth beside each living creature with its four faces. The appearance of the wheels. Now he's describing wheels. Wheels and their workings was like the color of beryl. And all four had the same likeness. Now, beryl's not a... a the, the color is just, a, just one color, just plain color. But with Jesus, you have what? You have, you have all kinds of, of, of stones. You have a, a rainbow. You have an emerald sea or a crystal sea. You have all of these different things taking place. And yet, with the wheels, it's, it's pretty plain Jane. But something very, very interesting is going on with these wheels. Now, now stay with me. Are you still with me? The appearance of their workings was, as it were, a wheel inside of another wheel. A wheel within a wheel. Okay? And when they moved, they went forward any one of four directions. They did not turn aside when they went. As for their rims, they were so high, they were awesome. And their rims, watch this, were full of eyes all around The four of them. When the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up wherever the spirit wanted to go. And so you have the spirit directing these wheels. Now this is very, very important because the wheel can run this way and it can roll this way. You have a wheel inside of a wheel kind of making a sphere. That means it never has to turn. It never turns. It can go straight. It can go back. It can go to the side. It can go to the other side. And it never has to turn. Let me share with you some imagery here that God is sharing with Ezekiel. Ezekiel is there near the river, captive, broke, busted, and disgusting, disgusted, wondering, God, are you still on your throne? And God shows up in Jesus Christ on the throne. You're going to see as we go further in the chapter, just down to verses 21, 22, right in there, you're going to see that these cherubims, these, these, um, these, uh, living creatures are holding up a crystal type, a sea platform or a firmament. That's what Ezekiel says. And on that firmament that they're holding up with their wings is a throne 
that, that holds Jesus Christ. Why? Because this is the same Jesus that the elders are worshiping. And he moves from heaven down to earth. You could say this is his mobile unit. Amen. And he comes down to earth. Isn't this the way we're supposed to pray? Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. And so Jesus is saying to Ezekiel, listen to me, Ezekiel. I know you're beside the river, broke, busted, and disgusted, and you're having a hard time. But let me show you something. These four living creatures and my throne represent the four hemispheres of the earth to the four corners of the earth. I cover it all. All of it is under my control. The eyes that cover the wheels, all over there's eyes. That means I see it all. I am omniscient. I know it all. And the fact that I don't have to turn, I can go in any direction I want to go means I'm all powerful. So not only am I everywhere, not only do I know it all, but I am all powerful to accomplish my will. And my will is for you to be in Babylon for a season, but I are never out of my sight. I will never leave you. Come on now. Is there anybody in the room that can say, I feel like I'm in Babylon? (laughs) I feel like my life has me captive beside the river and I'm wondering, Lord, where are you at? So let's, let's break this down a little bit. You have these living creatures. Some call them cherubims. Ezekiel refers to a creature called cherubims. It's, it's not just a creature. It's an angelic being. So an angelic being, an angel is a messenger. They're giving us a message. Okay. Now cherub is one. The I am added to it means plural. The wheels are the Ophronim. The Ophron is a wheel. The Ophronim means the four wheels. Okay, within the wheels. And then you have the Lord's throne. So you have the Lord's throne on top of the angels that they're carrying him. And then you have the wheels being led by the spirit wherever it needs to go. Now I'm going to ask some of my volunteers to come on up. Come on up guys. Where are your, uh, I need another mic. Hand me that mic. Love, would you? It's right there. So these guys are going to help me represent the living creatures. So are your mics on. Give me a mic check. Yes, sir. All right, all right. Give me a mic check. Check, check. Give me a mic check. Check. All right. So the four living creatures. Let's put the let's put the uh, the uh, graph up here. You have an eagle. You have a man. You have a lion. You have an ox. Okay. Um, who's who? I got eagle. You got eagle. I'll take one. I'm sorry, Steve. He's the he's the ox. Yes. Uh, so I'm following embarrassed because I know we've led a, a Bible study on Revelation. Yes. And I missed the verse where the living creatures wear black shirts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's because we've got to coordinate. Hey, somebody's being led by the Spirit. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Okay, so so we're touching social distancing, right? Because our wings are touching. Now, something very, very interesting. I didn't get to share this in uh, in first service because I ran out of time or I just forgot. But... Um, <laughs> Is they're touching. Now, what does this create? It creates a hedge. 
The enemy cannot get through because they're touching. But we have to move according to the spirit. And so they never turn. Notice they never turn. They never turn. They stay in their position and they move according to the spirit. So we're going in the lion's direction. Now we're going where? In the eagle's direction. Now we're going where? In my direction. Do you see how it works? Meanwhile, the, 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 the living creatures aren't moving. It's the wheels that are moving. Who do the wheels represent? The spirit of the living God. Who is the spirit of the living God called to indwell? Us as the church. The church of God. So now we're headed in the, let's go, lion's direction. Now, right about now, the ox is probably saying, Hey, why are we going my way? Yeah, why are we going my way, right? So let's go in the ox's direction. What do you think? This is what's happening. And you've got all of this movement taking place. Let's go forward. Well, forward for me. (laughs) Do you see what's happening? Do you see what's going on? No. No. <laughs> I can't see. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to need to take their mics from them. <laughs> but, but I love it. I love it, Jason. Listen, that's how it feels sometimes. When we're talking about the church and the spirit moving the church. Y'all can, y'all can leave your mics there. Thank you. Come on, help me give it up for these guys. Love y'all. Steve, Pat. So watch. What, what's happening here is sometimes people will come into a church and go, I can't see why all they focus on is this. or all they, Why don't they focus on what I like? Or I'm into worship. This church isn't anointed. Right? I can't see why all they're doing is grace and, and, and preaching the gospel and just preach the gospel, preach the gospel. I want to go in worship's direction. But you know, the spirit will move his church. And this is what he's describing. He says, the spirit will move. And it goes in different directions, different directions, according to the spirit. And it's always going up. Because God is meant for us to go from glory to glory to glory. And sometimes we get confused and go, you know what, Pastor Chris, he he just, all he does is just preach the gospel. Or he's more like an evangelist and he's not into worship. And then finally I start preaching on worship and I start preaching on prayer. And then you say things like, well, he finally got anointed. You know, finally our prayers are working for the man. He finally decided to get with it. But it's the spirit of God moving according to the season. According to the season. And you say, well, pastor, how do you know these are the four, uh, the four corners of a good foundation? I don't want to get dogmatic on this. Maybe you can substitute one for another. But, but this is what I see in the gospel. You have, you have worship. I, I should have asked Jason, can you sing? Because you, you could have sang for us right here. You could have just, should have asked him to sing a few bars. Can I tell you, you don't have to be a singer to be a worshiper. Am I right? 
you know, and then you have prayer and you have service and all of these areas are supposed to be supposed to be areas that the spirit can move us in. But not just as a church, number two, as individuals. We're called to move in our specific lives in these facets. But what happens when you say, well, I'm just not a, I'm more of an ox. I, I like to, I like to serve. I'm, I'm not a prayer person. I'm not a worship person. That's not me. Come on, how many times have we ever heard, that's not me? That's not who I am. Can I tell you, I used to believe that. I was raised in the Baptist church. Some of y'all are saying, ay, pobrecito, I'm sorry. No, he gave me a great foundation in terms of the gospel, sharing the gospel. If you're a Baptist, you can share the gospel. You know what it is to present the plan of salvation. I know the Roman roads. I know John 3.16. I know all the different facets, the four spiritual laws. I can, I can explain it in so many different ways. But worship wasn't a big deal for me because, I mean, if you're in a Baptist church back in the day, I mean, like they looked at you funny if you started clapping. Let alone raise your hands. You raise your hands. They're like, oh my goodness, what is happening with him? And so I can go, remember going to Promise Keepers, my very first time going to Promise Keepers. And I walk into the auditorium and they have all these men with these black shirts that say, real men sing real loud. And you can imagine this little Baptist boy coming from when there was a piano, maybe an organ. And you sing really, you know, kind of subdued. And then you sing like not all four stanzas. Because you'll sing like first and last, and then you move on. And these guys are singing full throttle. I mean, they're going for it. They don't even care if they sound good. <laughs> you, know, you could tell they weren't raised Church of Christ because none of them were harmonizing. It was bad. But I understood what they meant when the Bible says, what, what it means when the Bible says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, because I've never seen more joy in my life. And I felt like a fish out of water. And this is the interesting part. I couldn't even clap on beat because I was so conditioned not to clap. But you know something? I have a beat. I just couldn't do it in God's house because I had convinced myself that wasn't me. How do I know I had a beat? Because every weekend I was dancing. I mean, and I was, hey, you know, and I was right on beat, but come to God's house, I go, oh. and again, am I speaking to anybody? Saying, well, that's not how God made me. No, 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 no. That's how tradition made you. You know how you can tell how God made you? You know how you can tell how God made you? Let me take you and let's watch a Dallas Cowboys game together. Because Dallas, well, you either love them or hate them. And when you watch a game, the worshiper in you is going to come out. Because if they're winning and you love them, you're going to start jumping for joy. You're going to raise your hands. You're going to get excited. You might even start dancing. I've seen people when Dallas, you know, looks like they're going to lose. And then next thing you know, they win, man, they're spinning. Oh, yeah. Am I right? And if you hate them, 
when they start losing and they do that very often. <laughs> right? You're going to celebrate. You're going to be happy and you're going to do the same thing. And you can tell who the real you is. You know, it's interesting because this is what I'm talking about here in this sermon series. I want you to know that we're called to be well-rounded so that when the Spirit asks us to move in a direction, it's not just because he wants you to do it just because. It's because he has a purpose. Because he's preparing your life for something. Because the Spirit of the living God sees everything. That's what the eyes all over the place say. I see what's happening and what's coming and you need to prepare in prayer. I know the battle you're about to go in and you're going to have to worship. Because this is a spirit of depression that's coming in 2020. Uh-oh. And I need you to be a worshiper. I need you to be the one that, th- you know. So right here, right now, I just want you to start searching your heart and saying, Is there an area, if the Spirit asks me to move in that direction, the gospel, do I know how to share my faith? Do I know how to worship with abandonment? Not caring who's to the right or to the left. I can still remember that day I was at Promise Keepers. My brother was standing next to me. And all I could think of, I wonder what he's thinking if I raise my hands. And so I raised one hand. And it finally got to me. And I looked over and he was looking over at me with this hand raised. (laughs) We were raised the same way. And then finally we went like this. I'm like. (laughs) And then he raised his. Can I tell you, we encourage one another. We encourage one another. But the enemy would love to have us discourage each other in our minds. Don't be that way. Go for it. And then last, last but not least, the throne of grace. The throne of grace. So you have this foundation, but it's on the throne of grace. Read with me. The likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creatures was like the color of an awesome crystal. This is the exact same words that John uses. A crystal sea. So there's some kind of a platform that looks like a crystal sea. This must be awesome. And on that platform, watch this. And above the firmament, over their heads, was the likeness of a throne. In appearance like a sapphire stone. And on the likeness of a throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. You keep reading and it says like the appearance of a rainbow in the cloud on a rainy day. Now this rainbow surrounded the entire throne. This rainbow indicates the grace of God and it surrounds the entire throne. Listen to me very closely because the rainbow is saying God is not subject to anything where he has to witness it from a certain perspective only and see only half the rainbow. He is above it all. I see the whole thing and it surrounds me and my grace is awesome. And so the Bible tells us as Christians to come before the throne of grace. Make our petitions known. But you've got to be, 
you got to be able to move with the Spirit so that you can be with the throne of grace. If you move in your own direction and the throne of grace is over there, you're going to feel like I can't get in touch. But if the Spirit is saying I'm moving in the area of service and you're moving in the area of service, then you're right there with the throne of grace. You're right there with the throne of grace. You say, oh, pastor, the throne of grace is in heaven and all I have to do is close my eyes and get there. Yes, to a degree. But you and I both know that there are times when we've prayed and we just don't feel like we can sense the closeness to our Lord. And that's because the Spirit is moving and He's doing things and we have to walk with the Spirit. We have to walk with the Spirit. And so here, we know that this rainbow represents the throne of grace because the rainbow, guys, listen to me very, very closely, was a sign of his covenant of grace after the great flood. I will never destroy the earth with a flood. And not only that, but the ark of Noah represented Jesus Christ's salvation for the church. We know this because the New Testament tells us this. We know that while the wrath of God was being poured out on the earth, the church went above the wrath. Do you realize that when he raptures us and the seven years of tribulation have the wrath of God being poured out on those that did not believe the church will be above his wrath in the salvation of Jesus Christ. This is why John said, I heard a voice like a trumpet say, come up here. And it was after the church age where the church was raptured into heaven. And so what am I talking about? I'm talking about living as people of grace, not as people of the law. This is my last point. Stay with me on this. The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. So if we think to ourselves, I have to live better. I have to, I have to, I have to. You're actually giving sin strength. Look, read it. The strength of sin is the law. It's not because you have to, it's because you get to. It's because you get to when you understand how much God loves you and how much he's done for you and how much he welcomes you and how much he desires you to live your best life. Then you live up to high calling, that high calling. You know, I was asked one day in counseling, we were doing some marriage counseling and the husband turns to me in private and he says this, he says, Pastor Chris, how do you do it? You wake up every morning and have to just be faithful and have to love and have to care and have to be considerate. And I just looked at him and said, I don't have to do any of that. I get to. I love my wife. And because I love her, I don't view it as a chore. I get up every morning going, man, this is beautiful. I get this gorgeous woman right by my side. I still don't know how she fell in love with me. So, hey, you don't have to agree. Some of the guys are like, yeah, I don't know how that happened. I don't know how, but, but this is a, amen? And so this is what we're talking about in the throne of grace. This is what I want you guys to think about this week. So a few years ago, I was struggling in my faith because the enemy kept beating me up over what I haven't done. And what I have done. They kept saying, you're not worthy, you're not worthy, you're not worthy. And 
started trying to convince me that somehow I had lost my salvation. You know what I noticed? I noticed during that time, I wasn't serving. I wasn't worshiping the way I usually worship. I wasn't sharing the gospel. And I wasn't even praying the way I should. You go, Pastor, what were you doing? I was working. I turned this thing I call Christianity into a job. Can anybody say amen on that? When you turn it into a job, you miss the throne of grace. And it was there that the enemy was attacking me. And and I remember falling on my knees in my restroom there in the shower. I just fell on my knees and, and I just started crying and crying saying, I feel in despair, Lord. If I've lost my salvation, I don't know what to do. And the reason I felt that way is because he kept reminding me of all the times I failed. He says, if you accepted Christ here, but look at all the crazy things you did when you were a teenager and when you were in college. How can you be saved? How can you? And look at the way you feel now. And look at all the things you've messed up even as a pastor. And look at the things that you said carelessly. And look at the way you've treated your children. Look at the way you've treated your wife. Look at the way you've acted in certain instances. Man, he was just flooding me with, that's the opposite of grace. And I remember getting up and saying, Lord, I need you to speak to me. And the next morning, this kept flashing on my screen. Uh, the, 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 the slide there. If we sin willfully, and I know who this man is. It's A.W. Tozer, Pastor Tozer, great man of God. And I'm like, the last thing I need is an old school preacher preaching Preaching fire and brimstone, Keith. Man, this, if I felt despair, I'm really going to feel like I'm done. And it just kept coming up and coming up and coming up and coming up. Finally, I said, okay. I pressed on it. And he starts talking about, if you feel like you're in despair, let me share with you what grace is all about. Is there any other kind of sin but willful sin? Everybody sins willfully. We all make mistakes. You don't do it accidentally. You do it. Because you're human. But let me tell you, God's grace is greater still. God's grace is greater still. And he starts emphasizing prayer. And he starts emphasizing worship. And he starts emphasizing joining the Holy Spirit in service. And he starts emphasizing these things. And as I'm listening, my spirit is being renewed. And God is saying, come in, son. Come in boldly to the throne room of grace and receive all you need. Come on, it's fresh every day. It's all you'll ever need. If you need some grace today, come. Get a cup full. Get a bucket full. Get a life full. And then share it with as many people as you can. Amen? I'm here to tell you, if you need grace, you've come to the right place. Grace is what the Christian life is all about. Maybe you're here today. I know I took way longer than I had. But maybe you're here today and you're saying, Pastor... I'm having trouble feeling the spirit move because I need to be renewed with grace. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want you to raise your hand right here before we leave. 
Wow. I see your hands. There's still some time. I know the spirit is working. I see your hands. Father, you see every hand that's lifted up here today. I ask you, Lord, to pour out your grace into their lives. Speak to them by the power of your spirit. Remind them that there is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Remind them, Lord, that you are faithful and just to forgive if only they ask. Remind them, Lord, that salvation is completely of you. It's not something they earn. It's something they receive. And in this moment, Lord, let them receive a fresh spirit, a fresh wind, a fresh fire. Lord, have them be filled to the brim with grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we partake together? Lord, Thank you for your gift. Thank you for what you did at the cross and we look forward to your return. In Jesus' name. Church, I love you. Have a great, great week. I'll see you next week.